segue from the Todd Becker Foundation to this. And I think, and uh, was it last week, um, last week or the week before, Gay Tillotson with Collage Center, and, and we've got Benai Ministries with the, the Lichties, and it, people right in our own church that are out in our community and around the world, uh, like, invading culture. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? I mean, uh, uh, this, this small church on the hill... And many of you out impacting in ways that uh, um, we would never dream possible. Um, I, I bet we'll get to heaven someday. And there'll be hundreds and thousands of people that walk up to some of you and say, if it weren't for you. And you'll be like, what, what are you talking about? It was because of your faithfulness, your giving, your prayers, um, you being a part of the little church on the hill. Um, it's it's it's, inc- it's incredible, and so um, uh, in fact, there are there are companies and businesses and factories and homes and and all kinds of places all over this community and the surrounding area that are being impacted because you're choosing to show up powerfully as a man or woman of God, and and that's incredible. We got um, uh, Daniel chapter one really starts us into this idea of invading culture. Um, I remember as a teenager. Um, anyone, you remember your first job? Yeah. I remember as a teenager, my first job was Arby's and, uh, and, and I would, I would come home after working at night with like one of those big, like, I don't know what, what their ounces are, 44 ounce. I don't know. Uh, filled with like a chocolate shake or a Jamocha shake or whatever. I'd have that and then have extra fries and RB roast. I mean, that was, that was the benefits of working at Arby's. It was great. And I, and for some reason I couldn't gain weight to save my life. I don't know. I don't know what that was. Um, now marriage has uh, changed that aspect. Um, uh, but, oh, I digress. I digress. But I remember working, working at Arby's, and then, um, and then a couple, uh, that was when I was 16. A couple years later, I worked at an eyeglass place called Nationwide Vision, and this was in Arizona. And, uh, and what I remembered was um, some of the encounters I would have in the workplace. Um, and and ever, since, ever since then, I've actually uh, worked in church-related things. And so my grid work for working in the, in the world was when I was like, um, you know, 16 to, to 20. So I had four years of knowing what you guys go through. Um, so, so bear with me to try to relate. And, uh, but I, I remember, like, you know, after work at Arby's, um, people offering me alcohol. Uh, um, I remember, I don't know, if I, didn't, I was like, I, 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 mean, I was so kind of wet behind the ears, and I grew up in church, dad is a pastor, and I'm, and I'm, I'm like, what do I, what do I do? I mean, it's right there in front of me. And, and I remember uh, drugs. And uh, I mean, and I went to a Christian school, so I'm, 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 I'm sitting here. I mean, this is this is way outside of my realm. Um, in fact, one one day, one day after work, they even said, "Hey, we, we know that you're a virgin, and we could uh, we could hook you up." And I'm like, "Are you serious?" I'm like 16, 17 years old. This is I'm like. I'm blushing and worried, and my heart's racing. Oh, what do you do? And, uh, I, I remember this one story working at the eyeglass place um, where I was. Uh, I went out to lunch with my friend, and he whips out this thing out of his cigarette lighter that it was like some sort of a contraption for smoking marijuana, and he stuffs it, and I'm, I'm just, 
I mean, you guys, this is, this is nuts. And some of you guys are sitting there like, oh, Jonathan. <laughs> it's just living in the world that we live in. But isn't that the truth? That, uh, that there's, a, there's a whole culture. And, it, and, and it's um, steadily, in some ways, gotten worse and worse and worse, even though um, God is still on his throne and nothing's catching him by surprise. Amen. And he still has a plan, and his name is Jesus. But um, there, are, there are Christians who um, are choosing to be in the world but not of it, choosing to make a difference and make an impact. And then there are those that decide to, to just kind of, you know, go with the flow and, and just let whatever happens happen. And I, I want Daniel to speak to us that this is a time right now in our season, just like it was back in Daniel, where it's time for us to, uh, to stand up, to have a standard, um, to, that there absolutely is an absolute truth. And, and, let, and let's go with that. And so I want to I show you a few things here in this book. Um, there, was a, there was a story. Um, there's a secretary of state during the Reagan, Reagan uh, presidency, George Shultz. Anybody remember him back in the day? Uh, secretary of state, George Shultz. Um, and he, uh, in his office, he kept a large globe. And whenever the, um, his ambassadors would either be leaving to go on assignment to a particular country or they'd be coming back, he would, he would um, kind of do this, this test with them and he would, he would have them go over to the globe and spin it and, and find the, uh, the place where they were being sent or, or had come back from and they would put their finger on, on the globe. And, uh, and so that was his, his deal. And, and it kept going like that until one day he had one of his old friends, a former Senate Majority Leader, do you guys remember Mike Mansfield? And, uh, and he came into his office and, and did this whole same routine, spun the, spun the globe and all of those things. And when he went to put his finger on it, um, the, the ambassador, and he was the ambassador to J- Japan at the time, um, he actually put his hand on the United States. And he says, that's my country. And uh, Schultz was relating this story um, on, um, on TV to uh, uh, C-SPAN's book notes. Um, that was what was going on back then in 1993. He was on, on air, and he said this. He says, I've told that story subsequently to all the ambassadors going out. Never forget you're over there in that country, but your country is the United States. He says, you're there to represent us, take care of our interests, and never forget it. And you're representing the best country in the world, is what he said to them. And isn't that uh, like us? You know, Paul uh, would put it this way. He says, you're actually a citizen of heaven. You're in a foreign land. You're in foreign territory. Never forget where you're from. That you're here, but we're on assignment, taking the culture of heaven and really having the culture of heaven invade earth. You know, uh, at some level, this affects all of us. I don't know what everybody's uh, employment is. I don't know what everybody's situation is, whether, whether you're uh, a parent or a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Any of those Fortune 500 company CEOs in here? Um, talk to me afterwards. I don't know if you're, you know, I don't know where you're at, um, what you do, but at some level, this applies to you. None of us are off the hook in invading culture. 
As Christians, we're all called to impact the culture around us by bringing the culture of heaven with us everywhere we go. I like uh, Bill Johnson, a pastor in Reading. He says it this way. He says, a gospel that doesn't work in the marketplace doesn't work. Isn't that true? I mean, we preach it here. We have a theology for it here. If it doesn't work out there, then it doesn't work. And, and so... And, and that's part of even my dilemma every week as I, as I preach and prepare is how can I present this in such a way that you can take it out there and that it would actually work, that it would actually do what it's designed to do. It really means this. It means I know what I have access to and I know who I am in Christ and I bring that everywhere I go. So today, as we dive into the book of Daniel and we start this journey, um, here's our thought. And I want you to, would you just ask yourself this? I'm asking myself this too as I'm studying this week and as I'm preaching right now. Here's, here's the thought. If given the opportunity, could God use me to impact the culture that I live in? If given the opportunity, could God use me to impact the culture that I live in? Or in other words, am I just... Am I just off the hook because I'm, you know, whatever? I'd like to go out on a limb and say that none of us are off the hook. So what's the Bible say? What does God say? Well, man, it's, it's all throughout the Bible. It's all throughout the Bible of, of uh, examples of people standing up and going against the flow and standing against culture. Uh, it's all throughout the Bible of, of, of the, the standard that we're supposed to live by. You read the Gospels. You, you, you read the life of Jesus. But Daniel um, is a great example. Um, Daniel 1 opens up, and what we, what we have here is um, Daniel and his friends are really taken captive from Israel, from Jerusalem, and they're brought into Babylon. And, and uh, the, the children of Israel had once again fallen into sin, wickedness. Um, it had taken over. It, 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 you know, Israel was God's chosen people, his, his place. He had, how many know he had commandments? He had, if you follow my ways, there'll be blessing and you will prosper. If you don't follow my ways, there'll be consequences. And so uh, we, we open up in Daniel 1 and um, King Nebuchadnezzar had come in and with, his, with his armies and had, uh, and had besieged and taken, taken uh, people captive in Jerusalem and, and in Israel. Um, but you read there, and this is an incredible part, as you understand. It says that God handed Israel over to Nebuchadnezzar. It, it blows my, my mind. It's like he, he's so patient with us. And, and, and I have to believe that he, time after time after time, gave, gave them a chance, an opportunity to turn back to him and, and, and capture my heart again. And, and he loved them and loved them and loved them. And then finally there was just, okay, have it your way. And he, he turned them over to Nebuchadnezzar. The interesting thing is that the things that, that the people of Israel were caught up in, idolatry and 
pagan worship and, you know, all kinds of things that, you, that you, and we don't even want to talk about. Think of the nastiest things and the worst things and the darkest place of the world. And this was, uh, these were some of the things they were involved in. And yet, and yet God turned them over to Nebuchadnezzar, to Babylon, which was the epicenter of everything that they were doing wrong. It reminds me of like Romans 1. When God says that he would uh, turn them over to their own depravity. It's interesting to me. And so this is the situation that Daniel and his friends find themselves in. And, you know, I, as I read this and I see the godly character that Daniel and his friends uh, are walking in... I don't think that they were the ones doing the idolatry. I don't think they were the ones doing the pagan worship. I don't think they were the ones. And in other words, they're in captivity and it wasn't their fault. That that they have been brought into a a place and a time and a season uh, and and it wasn't their own doing. It's like, hey, I, I, I didn't do anything to get here. And so these guys are showing up powerfully as men of God in a place that they don't even deserve to be. And we start to see uh, some of their character and some of their approach to how does one invade the culture that they're in? Any of you, like, like you were just, you were born in Kearney, you've been here your whole life, right? Man, there's, there's some things, do you ever just feel like you, you're at your job and there's, there's nothing you could do about it? I've, I've always been here and I'll always be, be here. Uh, I, I was born into this family and there's nothing I can do about it. I was born in this place. I mean, do you ever just feel like almost as if you're in captivity? Uh, the prophet Jeremiah, if you read Jeremiah in, in 29, he he, he talks about this, and he, sa- he actually says this. He says, settle down, have families, plant gardens, pray for the peace and prosperity of the, of the place I've carried you into. Well, why? Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. He, 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 he sets a, a whole thing in 29 about, about how you invade this culture. Don't just go hide in a cave in a mountain someplace. Like, do something about it. So Nebuchadnezzar comes in, besieges, takes them back to Babylon. It's uh, uh, Babylon. Uh, um, we don't have a um, modern day Babylon. It's 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 no longer. But um, if you were to if you were to find it on a map, it would be in modern day Iraq, just south of Baghdad. Isn't that interesting? You look at. Some of the darkest place in the world back then, and you look at some of things that have gone on in our history in, in Iraq and in Baghdad and all that, and you're like, hmm, interesting. There were um, different contemporaries of Daniel. If you've ever um, read like e- Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel prophesied around the same time as Daniel. Um, Jeremiah, he, Jeremiah was older, but he was, he was still right there during the same time as, as Daniel. There, so when you start to put, piece some of these things together, there's, uh, when you read the book of Daniel, um, half of it makes sense and half of it doesn't. 
And, and so would you pray for me as we get like to chapter seven and beyond as I, as I try to give like, like practical application for you to like go into your workplaces. But uh, so like half of it is like all the famous Bible stories that anyone ever heard of like Daniel on the lion's den. Yeah, and that's why you got a lion on your, uh, on, on your pamphlet, on your bulletin. Uh, and I mean, we got some great Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on the fiery furnace. And, um, and, and, and if you've ever read it in the Bible, you probably saw it in Veggie Tales, right? Rackshack and Benny. And man, there's all kinds of, but that, that's the first half. So you've got the, this first half of the stories of, of these uh, boys these, these, that turn into men and they're in captivity and how do they respond? And you've got the second half that's a lot of the apocalyptic part of Daniel. And in fact, it is nearly impossible to gain an accurate grasp of the book of Revelation outside of understanding Daniel. It's really interesting stuff. And so we like to only go to those places in scripture that make sense to us. We, we, you know, you got your favorite book, your go-to place. I'm going to stick in Mark. It's like 16 chapters. There's a lot of action. There's miracles. We're going to hang out there. Or I like Genesis. All the stories from the, I mean, Genesis is great. Uh, and if I go to Daniel, it's just going to be the first six chapters. Right? But there's a scripture that says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so it tells me, even though it might be difficult sometimes to understand, I still, to be a, a, a steward of his word, I still got to dive in there. I can't just say, well, I'm only going to focus on the parts that make sense. And so would you, could we together as a church dive into Daniel and even when we get to seven and beyond, say, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing here? What can I know? Um, the, the book of Daniel, I believe, serves as a template to live and thrive in a godless culture. And so the question is, so how did they do it? And more importantly, how can we do it? I've got three points today. Back to my three points, Leslie. All right. That's just an inside office joke, but uh, that's all right. You can ask her about it. Number one, um, this, is, this is something that I saw. I saw unwavering resolve. Unwavering resolve. When I looked at Daniel and, and these guys, especially in Daniel chapter one, I saw this, this heart that said, I know what I believe. I know who I am and whose I am. I know the truth, the law of God, and they resolved in their heart and didn't waver. Um, Daniel chapter one, verse eight says this, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. And so what we have going on here is um, not only were they carried into captivity, but there were certain people, and you read in the first few verses of Daniel 1, there were certain people that the king wanted um, in his own private service. They're the, the, the best looking, the best fit, uh, the ones that had the, the most wisdom, natural skills, the, uh, the elite of the elite in Israel, the, the elite of the elite of all the Jewish boys, he wanted them in his service. And so he recruited all of it, recruited, stole them, 
human trafficked them to his kingdom. And then he had like a three-year training period for all of them. That they would learn the language of uh, the Babylonians or the Chaldeans, which is... uh, it's the same thing. Those are synonymous. And, and he, they would learn the language. They would learn the customs. They would, they would be really indoctrinated into this Babylonian culture. They would eat the food. They would drink the drink. They would uh, everything. And so that's these guys. That, that's where, where, where they found themselves. And so Daniel's immediate boss, his supervisor, if you will, was this guy that was the chief of the eunuchs, and uh, you know, I, we're just gonna, we're not going to really go too far into the eunuchs and what that means. You could look it up. Ask your mom. But for some reason, uh, um, the eunuchs were the ones that were able to to get close and serve the king. And uh, we'll do a word study on that someday. So Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. And, and this really, as I, as I was reading through and saying, Lord, what would you say to us? We could go a million different directions. We could go deep and wide. We can be in Daniel for months, really. And what would you say to us? How could we walk out of here different today? Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. In other words, there was, this wasn't just like a Christian preference. In fact, they weren't Christians. They were, um, they were Jews back then. But for our context, this wasn't just like a spiritual, you know, uh, we do it, this at this church and you do that at, at that church. This is what I do. This is what you do. This is my truth. That's your truth. It wasn't anything. This was God had told Israel You will do this and you won't do this. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. Here's the black and white. There's no gray area. Do not eat these foods. Do eat these foods. This is how you should prepare them. Um, All of this stuff. And so Daniel had that. And it says here, he resolved in his heart before he ever had a conversation with his boss. He, he resolved in his heart, I think, before he ever even met his boss. I think probably before he was ever in Babylon, maybe on the, on the bus ride there. He resolved in his heart. Because it's too late when you're in the moment. Now, I, I know that, that this doesn't relate to everybody, but my grandma would always tell me, Tom, that it's too late to decide my convictions about like sexual immorality when I'm in the backseat with the girl. Right? She said, you better figure out what you're going to do before that because it was so embarrassing. She would always say, Jonathan, I know. And it's my grandma. Joni, that's what grandpa calls her. And she would say, Jonathan, your body doesn't know that you're not married. I'm like, oh, my grandma. Grandma. (laughs) So I think... I think he resolved in his heart, this unwavering conviction to truth. And not just to truth, but to his God. I, there was a deep-rooted relationship with his God. And, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, all of them right there. I, I, I think they just, they just knew that, you know what, we're, we're not in Israel. We're not in Jerusalem. But regardless, I'm... Like, this is a non-negotiable. Do you have any of those in your life? 
Do you have the non-negotiables? Have you had those conversations with God? Have you read in his word and decided, you know what? I have resolved unwaveringly. This is right and this is wrong. And if put to the test, and, and that's why he, he had to, to say this. He, he, God had to mention this to us in, in verse 8 that Daniel resolved because there was going to be a time when it would matter. And the, the commitment, the, the, you know, like w- when you get married, and, and you, you make those oaths to your spouse, I will always, and I will whatever, and I do, and all this. It, it doesn't really matter then. It, what matters is when you actually have to keep your commitment. I like the psalm. I think it's Psalm 15. And it says, I will keep my oath even when it hurts. And so if we're coming to a place right here. Now, these, these boys, they're in captivity, but they didn't have it that bad. Okay, can I just be honest? I mean, yes, they were stolen. Yes, they were trafficked. Yes, they're, you know, they're, but they're in the king's palace. And you read in Daniel 1, they're eat, they, they, they get the option here of eating the king's food and drinking the king's wine. And, and they are being trained for three years to be the best of the best. Now, if you are going to be um, taken captive as a slave, you want this deal. Right? Now, I mean, nobody, nobody wants to be stolen, but if you are going to be stolen, do it this way. All the food, all the wine, all the training, all the skills, the possibility of advancement in the company. If you're going to be stolen, you want, you want this, this gig. And so that's where they find themselves. And it would be so easy, I think, for Daniel and his friends to start making excuses here, to start justifying. I've got to eat. I've got to drink, and this water's contaminated. That's what, I don't know, that's just a thought. I mean, after all, I've been... Stolen. I'm in prison. I mean, I mean, I mean, don't you think that it would? God will surely understand when we get back to Jerusalem. It's back on with the Ten Commandments and all the other hundreds of what. But right here, don't you think? I mean, this just makes. It's not. In fact, this isn't even a big sin. This isn't even, I mean, if you're going down the list of the ones that are the most important to the ones that are least important, the food choice versus like adultery, drinking this wine versus murder, God's going to understand. And so it would have, if Daniel would have waited till this moment to resolve in his heart, I don't think it would have happened. But he had to resolve in his heart before he got there. And so this food, now, some of it was just plain old, do you understand when I say it wasn't kosher? It wasn't, it wasn't a, a food that was appropriate for a, for a Jewish person to eat before God. And some of it, it wasn't that it wasn't uh, kosher in the sense of, of unclean and unclean animals. It was, wasn't prepared right. It, it, they, they hadn't prepared it right with the blood and all this. The wine, it wasn't, just be, it wasn't that like wine was bad. 
it, it was that the wine was used in, uh, in idol worship, and they would, they would pour wine over the idols. And, and, this is, and so he was looking at this and seeing food sacrificed to idols and wine used in, in different practices, and he was sitting there like, but I've already resolved in my heart. I've already resolved. My grandma, man, a lot about my grandma today. This is a more appropriate story. Um, my grandma, she would, uh, uh, she resolved in her heart. One day, her and God had a conversation, and and um, in her, in her story, she said that God asked her to not play with playing cards, and that other people could. It wasn't a sin for everybody, but for her, it was a request that God made for her. Um, I don't want you playing with playing cards, and so the whole family would be over, and we'd play like um, if you ever played rook or you know, whatever, spades, or um, I think around here people play pitch or euchre or whatever. And so we would be doing all of that, having a fun time, uh, um, you know, uh, betting money. No, I'm just, we wouldn't do that. Um, but uh, uh, grandma, she, she would serve us food and, and, we, and she would be around and she, she wouldn't make a big deal about it. It wasn't this thing like she's holier than everybody else. It was just that she had a personal conviction. She said this, she says, others may, but I may not. Others may. I always remember grandma saying that. Others may, but I may not. And so she had resolved. That, so even when the family was having a good time, others may, but I may not. I believe Daniel and his friends, that, um, that they, they knew this, that before they were to honor anybody else, they were going to honor God first. Before I, before I give honor and respect and everything to anybody else, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to honor what God said to me. Um, I think that he said in his heart that he was going to resolve in his heart that he would honor God at all costs. And so Daniel and his friends, they started this journey of living in a culture that was opposed to their faith. And so he's right here before the chief of the, of the eunuchs. And, and, uh, and so he, he's resolving, he's deciding this is, this is, this is a done deal. And then it comes down in um, Daniel 1, verse 7. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called um, Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. And so the, the question, why would they have to change their names? And you see that this culture was trying to indoctrinate them, trying to, to get them, no, you're no longer Jews anymore. You're no longer God followers. We are even changing your name. And you go into it. We could, we could have a whole sermon on the names that they chose. Their, the, their God-given names were these godly names and identity that God would speak over them. And, their, and the names in the Babylonian culture were like opposite of that, almost like a slap in the face to God. And so it was a strategic plan of the Babylonians they wanted them to think and behave like Babylonians. And that's the tension. Would Daniel and his friends, would they adapt to the culture or would they invade it? If they didn't stand out, we wouldn't have the book of Daniel. If, if, he, if Daniel hadn't decided, if he hadn't resolved in his heart, we, we wouldn't have the book of Daniel. <laughs> we wouldn't have any of these stories if they hadn't resolved what they were going to do before they got there. 
I love this quote. It, it, uh, it came from a, I'm not, a Disney movie that I watched with my sister when she was like seven or something. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't like watch it on my own eight times or anything. Um, but there was a, 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 it was called What a Girl Wants, and it was about this girl that goes into, um, you know, um, I think England, that London area, and, and she had somehow, um, uh, she was, she found out that she was royalty, that her dad was like, uh, like the king or something, and, and, uh, and so she's over there, and the whole story is she is trying to, like, become royalty now, like, start acting like this, and she is doing a horrible job. Um, I mean, it, it's... It, Everything's going wrong. The chandeliers are falling, and and pets' heads are falling off. And I mean, it was just it was crazy. And then uh, it comes to this um, this place where uh, you know the, the the music is playing softly in the background, and the sun's hitting it just right. And and the boy is in the scene, and they're on this canoe. And you know, I, I watched I think like I watched like half of the movie. And um, and the guy. The guy says this to, to the girl. He says, he says, why are you trying so hard to fit in when you were born to stand out? And it, was, it hit me when I I'm like, gosh, this is going to be a great illustration for a sermon someday. <laughs> That's the only reason why I watch movies, actually. But, it, I mean, isn't that, isn't that true of all this? And we see that in Daniel, but we, we see that in our, our life. We, we try so hard to blend in, to fit in, but you were born to stand out. You were born to have this unwavering resolve and convictions that make you stick, stick out like a sore thumb. And, but here's point number two. Uncommon humility. Uncommon. They had, they had unwavering resolve, but they had uncommon humility. Their unwavering resolve caused them to stand out instead of blend in. But watch this. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with a lot of us as Christians. And I say us, me too, you, people, Christians in, in culture. Here's the problem. Some Christians get the unwavering resolve, but they don't move on to uncommon humility. And actually, look at me. These Christians are jerks. They're rude. They don't give Jesus a good name. They've got the, some of them, man, got the unwavering resolve. This is what I believe. And then they, they're like a bull in a china closet. And, and they, they don't give God a good name. And they shove the Bible down people's throats. And they don't have this uncommon Humility. Watch this. Watch, watch Daniel. I love this. We're still in that in verse 8. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked. He asked. He asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. Man, when I read that, that statement, he asked. It just jumped off the page at me. It, it, it wasn't like, like, I was stolen and you're not going to make me eat this food, and this is against God, and he didn't like, you know, he, he, he asked. He like, he went low. Now, now watch. I don't believe for a minute that Daniel was going to eat that food. I think he already had the plan B in his mind. I don't believe for a minute that Daniel was going to compromise because he had already resolved, but his approach was the key here. Because if he wanted any chance at all for God to use him to invade a culture, he had to go low. Now, uh, we, in the general we, get this wrong. 
He didn't demand. He wasn't rude. He didn't shove his religion in the chief's face. Don't you ever want to do that with your boss sometimes? No, no. If any of you work for me, don't, don't say anything right now. But do you ever want to just like give it to your boss? He didn't do any of that. In fact, I imagine Daniel and his friends huddling together and saying to each other, as long as I don't have to compromise what I've already resolved in my heart before God, I will serve this man and do what he says. I believe they, I believe they said that. I think they huddled up and said that. In other words, if I can't honor God and submit to his authority, or, and submit to this authority, I'm sorry, I will honor God and let the chips fall where they may. And that's the place we have to be. That's the resolve. That's why you have to resolve before you get there. Because the goal is I want to honor, I want to respect, I want to submit to this authority, this God-given authority in my life. But if it causes me, if there's no way for me to do both, where I honor God and honor them, I've got to choose him because I've already resolved. And that's where Daniel and his friends were. As they're setting a template for us to invade culture, I love the uncommon humility, this approach. He asked. He asked. He chose that his approach was going to be walking in humility. And um, I like what a a pastor, a preacher, uh, his name is Todd White. And he says, it's impossible to offend a humble man. It's impossible to offend a humble man. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, uh, starting the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, the, uh, commonly known as the Beatitudes here. It says this, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, or shall inherit the earth. Now, the, when we try to define meek, and you go read it in a dictionary, most places it's going to compare meekness to weakness. Would you agree? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the, uh, the shy. The, the timid. And, and yet, as I read this in Scripture, and I look at Jesus who is saying this, plus, look, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the, the earth. Inherit the earth. Do you see what that's saying? Blessed are the shy and the weak and the timid, for they are going to actually own the earth. Inherit. They are going to rule the earth. That's just, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't quite add up to me. And, and, and the, the two people in Scripture that we see as described as meek are Moses and Jesus. So I think we have to redefine it a little bit. I, I, I like the definition I stumbled on of meekness. Watch this. To restrain one's own power so as to allow room for others. Strength that is submitted to an appropriate authority. It's not weakness. It's strength under control. And so you see this with Daniel, where he could have flexed his muscles and done whatever he was wanting to do there. But he chose to go low. Daniel 1 verse 9 And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. I think the only way that was going to happen is if he chose to go low. God gave. God gave. God recognized the resolve and the humility and gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I I fear my lord the king. 
who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king? Now his boss is in a predicament. He's like, I really, I like you, Daniel. You're a good kid, and I want to I do what you say. I'm afraid here. But Daniel starts to get favor. He had favor with God, and now he's having favor with men. And, and he didn't get that by bashing the king every day. Do you, do you know anybody? Don't, I mean, I'm sure there's nobody like that here, but do you know anybody that just bashed their boss all day long? Do you know anybody that bashes presidents or governments? I wish somebody would kick him out of office. I wonder what would have happened if Daniel had bashed the king. What do you think would have happened? Off with his head. Or worse. If Daniel had decided to just, you know, grab all of the courage he could muster and get behind his computer and say something on Facebook because that's the brave thing to do. I wonder what would have happened if Daniel had started bashing the king. I think Christians have forgotten that to invade a culture, we don't bash a culture, we serve a culture. You become a world changer by how you live, not what you say. And when given the opportunity to speak to the king, you better have the spirit of God inside you. He's waiting for his opportunity. Daniel and his friends, they, they're deciding to go low, to serve, to not compromise. I've resolved, but as long as I can serve this king and still keep my commitment to God, I'm going to do that. And I'm going to go low, and I'm going to wait. Lord, when's the opportunity? When's the door going to open? I'm going to just, I'm going to wait for my moment to have an audience with the king. See, it doesn't matter who's in office. They don't have the answers to fix this nation, by the way. Didn't we just, get, isn't there like a new president now or something? I don't know. It's Christ and Christ alone in you making a difference wherever you show up. That's what's going to fix this nation. That's what, what's going to change this culture. It's the power of God in you and you deciding as a man or woman of God to show up powerfully wherever you're at, to have the resolve and the humility and to wait for the moment. And then this last thing, and, and this, was, this was the kicker. This was cool because this is like waiting for the moment. This is doing it the right way. Number three is unprecedented wisdom. I think some of us get scared and we think... I just don't know how to do this. I mean, I, I thanks Jonathan for this great, but then how does this apply in real life? And, and I've got this boss and I've got this spouse and I've got this child and I've got this person with more influence than me. And I feel, I... in Daniel 1, verse 12, Daniel, he's got this wisdom that I could only assume comes from the Lord before his supervisor. And he says this, because his supervisor is scared out of his pants. 
He says, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let your appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's, I'm sorry, let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you, their boss. And deal with your servants according to what you see. I mean, Daniel's putting everything on the line here. Here, 10 days, you let us do it the way we know we're supposed to do it before God. And if by chance, right, we're, our way is better, then let us, let us keep doing this. And if by chance our way is not better, then you deal with us the way you see. In the matter of God-given spiritual convictions, ask God for wisdom in how to approach the person or people that have authority or influence. Here, ask your boss. Right? Some of you may be thinking of this right now. Maybe there's a conviction in your heart, a God-given, before God this is right and this is wrong, and you're thinking of the boss, you're thinking of the person in authority. What the, ask your boss, test me for a period of time. If I can accomplish more in six days than everyone else does in seven, then give me Sundays off. What would, what would that look like? Say, hey, I understand your predicament, boss, supervisor, CEO, whatever. I understand. I, got, I get it that we've got deadlines and we've got things to, to, to push and people that need to buy and bottom lines to meet and all this stuff. Here, I've got this conviction God-given conviction that it's, this is a big deal to me and my faith. Could you test me for a period of time? What if I can accomplish in six days what everyone else can accomplish in seven? Could, could I have some days off? That's what I think he's saying here. In a, in, and there's other, there's other examples, but that's, that's one. Well, what, what about at home? Maybe you've got a, an unbelieving spouse, or, at least, or maybe it's just a spouse that doesn't have the same convictions as you for whatever reason. What about this? What about, there's just an example. Um, tell you, you're talking with your spouse. Test me for a period of time. If our finances are blessed, then let me tithe. What if, what if you and your spouse, I don't know, this whole tithing thing, the church just wants your money and all this stuff. And what, what if you just say, man, I, I get that, I get that, and Jonathan talks about it way too much and, and whatever, but, but, but. Let, let's just take like, and I don't, by the way, I don't think so, but maybe I do. But I'm not gonna change, so, no, sorry. I digress. But what if, what if, between you and your spouse, you're like, hey, Let's just try this for, what if we tried three months? What if we tried three weeks? What if, and what if, what if we did this? And I know that you're against it, but if we're blessed in all kinds of ways after the period of time, you think, would you change your mind? That's wisdom. That's not like taking, honey, the Bible says, and you know, whatever, and you turn it into a weapon, you know. It's wisdom. It's God-given wisdom. It's, it's resolve. Man, tithing's important. It's, it's humility. It's your approach. And then it's like, hey, God, would you, I know this is important to you. How do you want me? And do you think there might be other ideas, other examples in life where there's someone of influence or someone of authority and you've got a spiritual conviction and you, and you need to say, God, would you give me wisdom? Would you show me how 
Let me have resolve. Let me have humility. But where's the creative wisdom? And so he does it. And this uh, and the story goes on, and 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 they're they're given the uh, they're allowed to do this for ten days, and they're better than everybody else, their health and and all this, and then they get they're in this three year program. Remember, they had a three year training period, and watch this Daniel one verse seventeen. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now, I know God gives like spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I know like, Lord, give me wisdom. But what, did you hear what happened here? These guys had spiritual resolve. They had this, this uncommon humility. And God starts to give them Wisdom in all literature, in every kind of understanding. In, in other words, here's what you need to advance in your company. Here's what you need to like, be the best of the best. Man, cr- Christians need to be the best. Not out of a place of arrogance, but out of a place of influence and God-given wisdom. What if Christians weren't known as the lazy ones and the poor tippers? What if we were known as the ones that like had the best work ethic and we could get more done in six days than you could in seven? What if? And so they sit here, and I don't know, I don't know how this happened, but somehow like and, and God gives them like like they understand calculus and and they understand like like you know I don't know the supernatural speed reading and they can comprehend and all of it and they get all of this stuff in verse seventeen. These Hebrew boys, they were taken captive and they became proficient and experts in all things in Babylonian culture. Instead of like going and hiding in a cave someplace, they became experts. Lazy people don't have favor with the king. Daniel puts his head down, serves well, and waits for an opportunity. And after that three-year process, something starts to shake. You see, we have, we're citizens of heaven like we talked about, and we have responsibility to release cult, the culture of heaven wherever, we, wherever we're planted. And I think Daniel, in his heart and his mind, he's just waiting. He's, he's, he's being faithful. He's serving. He's got the resolve and the humility and now the wisdom and the God-given supernatural. He's like, man, man, uh, I've learned in three minutes what, what people study a lifetime to know. And he's waiting for a moment. God's challenging people to rise up and become the best at what you do. In Daniel 1, verse 18, things start to shift. It says, at the end of the time, that three-year period, at the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. In verse 19, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all of his kingdom. What a testimony. What a testimony. I don't know what God's calling you to do. 
You may think, I, I, I just, I don't have that much influence. I, 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 you know, whatever, or maybe wherever God's plant, wherever you're at is where God's planted you right now. And I think it's appropriate for us to, one, ask this question. If given the opportunity, could God use you to impact the culture that you live in? Saying, God, God, what's this look like? And I think it starts with unwavering resolve. Do you know what you believe? I mean, do you know the truth? Do you, do you, do you know Bible? This unwavering resolve to, to, to truth, the uncommon humility and unprecedented wisdom. You know, it doesn't matter how young or old you are. God can use you to become a, I like this, a cultural change agent. And if you like agent movies, that's a big deal. Daniel was 15 when he was taken into exile. He was 50 years old when he interpreted the second dream of Nebuchadnezzar. He was 80 years old when he translated the handwriting on the wall, if you remember that story. He was probably between 81 and 83 years old when uh, um, he was thrown into the den of lions. So none of us are off the hook. What if, we, what if we all did this? What if we went home today and we grabbed our spouse or our kids and we said, hey, we're going to resolve, like Joshua, as for me and my house. We're going to resolve. This is right. This is wrong. And, and, and we're just going to make sure because when we get to that moment where we have to keep our commitment, it's going to be too late. Let's resolve right now. And what if you decided, hey, guess what, guys? Your kids and your spouse, your family. We said, Here's our approach. We're not going to be jerks. We're, we're going to walk in humility. And we're going to capitalize on divine opportunities. And we're going to love well. And we're going to wait for the moment, the God-given moment, when God opens up a door and we get to impact culture. Let's pray. Jesus, would you help us Lord, would you show each and every one of us, each person at the sound of my voice, would you show myself and my family, Lord, what's our role? What's our, our, what's our space to occupy? Lord, even right now, what do we need to resolve, having unwavering resolve? What do we need to resolve in our hearts right now? What areas of pride need to be softened, even right now? And Lord, there, there are people in this room that have said over themselves, I'm not smart. There's people in this room that, that, that said, I, I don't know much, I can't comprehend or whatever. And Lord, supernatural wisdom and understanding of all types of understandings and all types of literature and all kinds of things. Lord, would you grant in moments what would take years? Lord, would you raise up a, an army of Christians across this city that have places of influence, whether it be in homes or workplaces or government or all kinds of realms of society? And may we be ones that have resolved humility and unprecedented wisdom. In Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? Can we close out with a song here? And um, If you need prayer for anything,